right, why don't you go ahead and turn to a person or two around you and let them know that you're glad they're here today. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys again. Thanks for joining us for week three of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called Name Above All. And this whole series is sort of based on a passage of prophecy. It's found in Isaiah chapter 9, and it's in it, it's got names uh, pointing ahead to Jesus, ascribing names to him, reflecting who he would be what, and what he would come to do for us. It's a super cool passage. Now we're spending the month of December kind of walking through uh, the four different names that are mentioned in there. Today I want us to look at the third name in the list attributed to Jesus. It's Everlasting Father. And so we're going to start out uh, reading this today. We've been focused in on uh, verses 6 and 7. I want to start with verse 1 today to kind of give you the context leading up to that. And uh, we'll go from there. I'll kind of make some comments even as we read through it. But Isaiah chapter 9, starting with verse 1, says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. By the way, is that cool? Listen to that. There will be no more gloom for those who are living in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. It's talking about hope there, right? There's hope that exists. You, have, you God, have enlarged the nations. You have increased their joy. So let me just stop and just say, he's saying, you've led people out of darkness and into light. And as a result, they are filled with joy goes on to say, they rejoice before, before you as people rejoice at the harvest time, as warriors rejoice after a great victory, and they're dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. It's a picture, right, the picture here of a yoke is sort of like a yoke of oxen. You guys have seen that before, right? A heavy load, you know, put on, uh, on an animal or on a person or whatever, uh, and they're pushing forward, they're straining against it, hundreds of pounds sort of pulling against you, and it's a picture of breaking that, so it's a picture of release and freedom, even lightness in the midst of that, Right? He's shattered the yoke that burdens them. He shattered the bar across their shoulders. He shattered the rod of their oppressor. Let's go on, verse 6. It says, for, all of this is going to happen because of, he says, for to us a child is born. To us a son will be given, and the government will be on his shoulders. It's sort of a picture of kingship, like a royal robe placed on someone's shoulders. He will come as a king that will rule, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He'll be called Mighty God. He'll be called Everlasting Father. And he'll be called Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
So again, I've, I mentioned this the last couple weeks, but this prophecy is written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. It's God speaking, speaking through the prophet sort of prophetically, giving a picture, and he's sort of proclaiming to his people who are living and going through a super hard season in this, in this, uh, in this chapter. In, in Isaiah chapter 9, it's a, I told you before, it's a bad day. The country has been split apart. There's armies that are encircling them. The people are freaking out, and God speaks through the prophet and says, hope is coming. Hold on. He's saying, hope is coming. It's going to be better than you can possibly imagine. Hope is coming. I am sending someone to help you, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, and he'll be called Mighty God, and he will be called Everlasting Father, and he will be called Prince of Peace. He's going to, a child is coming. He's going to be born to you. He's going to come in human form, born of a virgin, born of Mary, but he's also been sent, right? He has been given because he existed before that, because he's the eternal one, like we kind of talked, uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit about today. Hope is coming, God says. I know it seems dark now. I know it might seem hopeless. It might seem discouraging in this day and age. He says, I don't know if you can see it or understand everything, but a light is coming. Hope is coming into the world. And when he comes, because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, there will be no more gloom. There will be no more despair. Those uh, that are, have been living in bondage or enslaved by sin and junk in their lives, they will be set free. They will have hope because freedom is coming. For those who suffer, there is hope because joy is coming. For those who are suffering injustice, hope is coming because justice will one day come. All this is possible because to you, a child is born. To you, God's son is given. And he will be called Everlasting Father. Everlasting. I love this passage, by the way. I could just go on on those, those verses for quite a while. But uh, I, I have to say, the passage is so filled with hope. There's so much about Jesus in there. It's just packed. I mean, you can kind of see as I'm starting to, as I'm making some comments, it's talking about a, a child that's going to come. He's going to bring freedom to the captives, right? He's going to bring good news to people who need. He's going to bring hope uh, to God's people once again. It's, it's a cool, stinking passage. But I do have to say, when we're focusing in today, we're focusing in on that title, that Everlasting Father title. I have to say, this is one of those that you kind of scratch your heads on a little bit. And, and here's why. Uh, because we're, we're talking about Jesus. This prophecy is written about Jesus. And Jesus is referred to as God's son. son, right? He's referred to as God's son. And so let me just, as we're kind of getting going here, let me just be a little bit clear. This passage is not saying that Jesus is actually in the role of the Father within the Trinity. It's not. He's clearly God's son. It's taught all the way throughout the Bible. Jesus uh, he is God's son, although certainly uh, over and over the Bible tells us that he reveals the Father to us. He lets us know what the Father is like. His character, his nature reflects that of his Father. That, that's part of probably what he's talking about here as well. But really the primary thrust of this title of the everlasting Father, the primary thrust of it is actually everla everlasting and less about Father. In fact, the, the it's using the term father, most scholars think, sort of like uh, Adam is referred to as the father of humanity, or Abraham is referred to as the father of the nation, sort of the, the originator of, or the first uh, one, or, or, or whatever. And so it it's, it's, might be better translated or better understood as if we talked about this title as being the father of eternity, the originator, the founder even of everlasting life, the one who is everlasting, the one who has opened up eternity for us all. 
He has opened up a door for us to experience and live in eternity. Listen to how John sort of writes about this whole Jesus as the eternal one. This is found in 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read just the first four verses, but it, it, it goes hand in hand with what we're talking about in Isaiah 9. It says this, John says this, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim con uh, concerning the word of life. It's Jesus, it's who he's talking about. He, Jesus, we've, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, Verse 2, that life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, Jesus, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that which we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship, our relationship, our connection is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete and even to make your joy complete complete. John writes that this Jesus who is from the beginning, he is everlasting, he's saying, and because of, because of Jesus, the eternal one, he has opened up the door for us to be able to experience relationship and fellowship with God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. He's opened up the door for us to experience everlasting life with him. He's opened up the door for us to experience everlasting joy even and everlasting peace, and that's kind of where I want to camp out today. I want to focus in on, uh, on what that kind of everlasting life is that God refers to and, and this, this whole picture of the everlasting Father, the originator of everlasting life. And so I want to kind of dig in. I've got, I've got three different kind of parts of that that I want to talk about that I think are included in this concept of this everlasting Father. And then I want to come back at the end and talk a little bit more about the Father piece. Sound fair enough? Stick with me. I think it'll be fun. Uh, and, and I want to talk about it in, in the lens of like, how, what he came to do for us, okay? So the first one is this. This child that was to be born, this Savior, this Messiah that was to come, came to bring us everlasting joy. Isaiah 9, right, it says, you have enlarged the nation. It's talking about the kingdom of God. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. In fact, they rejoice before you as people rejoice before the harvest or or uh, it goes on to talk about, or they rejoice after a great victory when they're gathering the plunder. Now, you got to think back uh, to a day before grocery stores, before refrigerators, before any of that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I want you to imagine uh, what it would be like during the harvest season. Right? You've been waiting now nine or 10 or 11 months since the last harvest, right? I mean, it's maybe more, maybe, two, maybe 12, depends on what we're talking about here. But, but like maybe, you, maybe you've been waiting an entire year and you've watched your food supply go down and down and down and down and down until there's not much left. Maybe you're down to one meal a day. You're just barely getting by. And all of a sudden, the harvest comes and all the fruits and vegetables and grain and everything, all of a sudden, there is abundant provision for you. All of a sudden, you're back up to three meals a day. You're having parties. Or you're having celebrations because it's the harvest time. Now, can you imagine that? Would that be a joyous occasion in an agrarian culture? It'd be huge. Or, I, I mean, even the... the uh, the parts about like after a great victory where there's been a battle and it talks about gathering the plunder, right? Which, which is basically after, let's say there's an army that's surrounded you like, like who was surrounding them and they have been attacking you and everything else. And let's say that God gives you victory and you defeat them and then you go back to their camp and all their supplies, everything they have is now given to you. 
it's yours, right? The fight, the battle is over. There is peace, and now again, there is abundance, and there's joy, and there's celebration, and there's, right, probably a feast that happens together because the wartime is over, victory has come. That's kind of what's happening here. There is everlasting joy that's available to you because of this child that was to come. Even if we go back and read the kind of the classic Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, it talks about this, where the angel announces, listen to this, uh, verse 10 in Luke chapter 2, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause, what's the word? Great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, which is ironically the word that, that's used to talk about this one that they're prophesying about in Isaiah chapter 9. This Savior, this Messiah, this Lord has come to you. And because of that, I bring you the best news ever announced, the angel says. I bring you good news of great joy. And this good news of great joy is for everyone. Good news, he's saying. Good news. It'll bring great joy to everybody who hears, who hears it. At Jesus' birth, the angel announces this, the most joyful news in human history, that a Savior has come, that the Emmanuel has come to be with us, that this prophesied Messiah has come to redeem us and to rescue us and to set us free, to break the rod of the oppressor, to bring us home once again. He's come to offer forgiveness and a relationship with God. He's come to show us the full extent of the Father's great love for us. He thinks we're worth dying for, friends. He came to rescue and to free us and to save us from our sin and our junk and our rebellion, to restore us to God. He offers all this free of charge because of that. And right there is great joy for those who receive it, joy that is even <laughs> everlasting. Listen to this, 1 Peter 1. 8 through 9, I love the way uh, he talks about it right here. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. You believe in Jesus and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Those that understand, those that have asked Christ, open up their heart and their lives to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you come and rescue me? Would you forgive me for my sin and my junk and all that crud from the past? Would you make me new? Would you be my Savior and my King? From this point forward, I want to follow you. For those that have put their faith in Jesus, we are filled, it says, with an inexpressible and glorious joy. It's good news inexpressible, even joy everlasting. Now, joy isn't something that sometimes we don't talk about a ton in church. Uh, I think sometimes we're afraid that it's, we're going to communicate that uh, God is only after the, our whimsical wants and desires, right? We're not, we don't want to think that or, or communicate that God's just here to make us happy all the time, uh, some of that kind of stuff, either one extreme or the other. Either we don't talk about that or that's all we talk about and we kind of get an inaccurate picture one way or the other. But here's, I just want to mention this as sort of a throwaway comment. But God is the most joyful being in the universe. <laughs> the Bible makes it incredibly clear that he brings, he, he is joy. <laughs> it's who he is. It's part of his nature. Has always been, will always be. And he invites us, you and me, into his joy. <laughs> he has come for us. He has come in the person of Jesus Christ. He has come to open up the door so that we can come back into relationship with God and experience His great 
joy for us. Step into the life and the relationship that he has for us. God is the most joyful being in the universe, and he wants to fill our lives with joy, and he invites us in to his joy. At one point in Jesus' ministry on, his earth, on, on earth, when he's teaching about remaining in right relationship with the Father and all this stuff, he says this in John 15. It's a great passage. If you haven't read it before, you should go home and read it today. It's awesome. But John 15, verse 11, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be, what does that say? Complete. He wants to complete joy in your life. He wants to bring fullness of joy, eternal joy into your life as you step into right relationship with him. He's got good plans for you, good stuff for you. He has come to bring us joy even, to invite us into that life of joy with him. Did you ever think about that? It's incredible. I don't know, friends, I, I will tell you this. Uh, like I said, we don't talk about it in church all that much sometimes. Uh, but I'll tell you what, there is no better, there's no, I've never found more joy than I have found in a relationship with Jesus. I don't always take advantage of it. I wish I did. I wish I was totally on board with that all the time. But I have to say, I have never, I live, I can remember the first 18 years of my life living apart from him. And I know what it's been like to live with him. And I have to say, I have discovered more and more and more joy than I ever imagined in fact, I, I have to say, uh, I've talked about this before, but one of, the, one of the things that's just crazy for me is, is learning, as I've been learning to pray these last 20 years or whatever, but learning uh, to just spend time with Him in His presence. And when I do that, I can sense His joy. I mean, it's the, it's the craziest thing, but you can sense His presence. You can sense His smile and His joy on you. And I, I can always tell the difference throughout the rest of my day because I'm filled with His joy as I spend time with Him in His presence. And so are you. It's part of why He came, right? This Emmanuel came. This everlasting Father came so that we can step into that right relationship with Him and experience His great and infinite and eternal joy. If you don't know what I'm talking about, man, I'm telling you what, you're missing out. Maybe today is the day where you turn towards God and you say, God, I want to experience, I want to know you like that. I want to walk in your joy and in your life and in your love. Would you come into me? Would you fill me? Would you lead me? Would you forgive me? Would you be my God? I need you getting ahead of myself, so I'll keep going. Second thing I want to talk about this, this everlasting Father came to give us everlasting peace. This too, this, this word peace is all over the Christmas story. It's all over the prophecy written about Jesus. It's all over Luke 2. Listen to these nine. I, Isaiah, back to our Isaiah 9 passage. For to us a child is born, right? To us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be, he'll, right, he'll be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We'll talk more about that next week, but it says this, of the increase of his government, of the increase of his kingdom, and of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. Unending peace. Again, sound like maybe eternal peace, maybe overflowing, maybe abundant peace, maybe everlasting, right, peace. That's what he came to do. And if you go, you kind of go forward, uh, uh, Luke 2, in the right smack dab again in the Christmas story, says, uh, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared and the, uh, with the angel and, and praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what's that word? 
peace to those on whom his favor rests. Well, that kind of peace that they talk about, sometimes people use it to refer to the absence of war. Like they'll, they'll put up, you know, peace on earth, you know, kind of thing. Like, like an absence. that's not really what they're talking about here. That's not really what God's talking In fact, that's what some of the Israelites, the, the, the Jewish people of that day, would have believed and would have thought that it would have been hoping for was a political peace or a military invoked sort of peace for Israel. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about kind of two different things, and the Bible makes it pretty clear. He's talking about the first one is, is peace with God. First thing he's talking about is everlasting peace with God the Father, right? We don't have to live at odds with God anymore because of our sin, because of our rebellion. Instead, we can be completely forgiven, we can be set free, and we don't have to wonder where we stand with God. We don't have to be afraid or try to do penance or work hard enough or be good enough to earn or deserve his forgiveness or to try and please him or earn his love. No, we can have assurance of peace in our relationship with God because of Christ, because of this Messiah, because of the eternal one who came some 2,000 years ago. Romans 5, 1 through 2 says this, now that we have God's approval because of faith, we have peace with God. Because, what, because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done. Through Christ, we can approach God and stand in his favor. Because of Christ, we can have peace with God, it says. We can know that we've been forgiven for our sins. We can know that we are headed for heaven. We can know for sure that we are in good standing with God, that his favor even rests on us. We can know for sure because it's not based on us. It's not based on what we do, on being good enough or deserving it or earning it or anything like that. It's based entirely because of what Christ has done for us. It's about Jesus who came back, who came for us to rescue us, to pay the price for our sins on the cross once and for all so that you and I can come back into right relationship with him so that we can be forgiven and adopted back into his family. And all we have to do is open up our hearts and lives and by faith say, Jesus, I need you. Would you come and forgive me? I need, would you come and wipe away my sins? Would you come and make me new? And, and the Bible says when we put our faith and trust in him like that, we are forgiven. We are brought back into right relationship with God, and there is peace in our relationship with God between us. We can have right standing, and we can know for sure. It's not like, are my good deeds better than my bad deeds? It's none of that because it's based entirely on, on Christ, on what Jesus has done for us. And because of that, there can be peace in our relationship with God. And after we have peace with God, then it takes us to the second one, right? This everlasting peace. It's talking about the peace of God then that uh, gets imparted to us that we can find and discover. We find everlasting peace with God by putting our trust and our faith in Christ and asking Him to rescue us and free us and forgive us. And then we can know the peace of God. And this is that kind of peace. It's sort of a confidence and sort of an inner calm knowing that whatever happens, that, that, that we have the everlasting one is with us and he is for us. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you, the Bible says. He is present, he is powerful, and he is on our side. I've shared with you guys before uh, a time when I went into high school, I was a little piddly thing. You guys remember this? I was four foot ten inches tall my freshman year of, uh, of high school. I kid you not, like probably, I don't know, 90 pounds soaking wet or something like that. I mean, I was just a little thing. And, uh, and there's this thing at, at our high school. They did uh, freshman initiation. You guys ever 
been around that or heard of that. And, and the primary way that they would, uh, would kind of haze freshmen is they'd drop a, a quarter or a penny or something on the floor and they say, push it, freshmen, right there. And the idea was you would get down with your nose on the quarter on the ground and push it, you know, across the room or hallway or something like that. Now, the only way they could really do that was by intimidation and force. And so, uh, I, again, I was... Did I, did I tell you how tall I was? <laughs> I was just a little thing. And so my entire strategy was to avoid everyone, right? Like, I'm like, I am not going to get around any upperclassmen. I'll keep my head down. I'll just sort of shuffle along, try and stay invisible, that kind of thing. It worked pretty good until sort of right before homecoming, I had a class that was down the senior hallway. And I thought, this is not good, right? <laughs> and so I went walking down uh, the hallway trying to get to my class. And before I could get there, some of the football team guys uh, grabbed me, like literally, they're probably a foot and a half taller than me, grabbed me, throw me in the boys' bathroom downstairs and yell, hey, we got a freshman here, right? All kinds of senior boys, like, come running down the hallway. There's like maybe 20 of them in the bathroom. One of them takes out a penny, drops it on the floor in the, I mean, in the school bathroom, boys' bathroom, right? You get, get that picture. It's lovely, right? Like, let's, let's just imagine that. So it says, push it. And I'm like, I'm sure my face went pale. I'm thinking, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> I'm in big trouble. I and so I try to sweet talk. I mean, I kind of turn on the like, like, let's try to sweet talk our way out of this. No. I tried to kind of walk out. You know, this wall appears in front of the door. And I'm like, crap. And I mean, like, couple guys start pushing me, and I'm thinking, I am done. I am no longer going to get out of high school without pushing a penny. I'm like, this is, this is not going to go well. And uh, finally, this last, last guy comes in uh, the bathroom, and it's my neighbor. <laughs> and I have to say, he's on the football team. He might have even been the captain that year. I don't really remember for sure. But he's probably, he's more than a foot taller than me. He's probably 100 pounds of muscle bigger than me. And uh, he was very well liked by pretty much everyone in the school. And I look at him like with eyes, I say, "Help me!" <laughs> you know, like, uh, like <laughs> whatever. And he he steps up and and uh, he gets in front of some of the other guys. Come on, guys! He's like, "This is my neighbor. You gotta let him go. He's a good guy." That kind of stuff. And uh, so I kind of start walking out. And one of the again bigger kind of football guys says, "No, we're gonna make him push." And at that moment, the, my neighbor grabs the guy by the shirt and throws him up against the wall, kind of like one-handed. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, it's like Moses parting the Red Sea, right? <laughs> this, this pathway opens and I walk out on dry ground, right? I get to the door and I, I, and I turn back around and I kind of say, see you guys later, you know, kind of thing, walk out, walk out. And, and I'll tell you what, I had great confidence that day and I, I was living in peace at that moment and that peace had absolutely nothing to do with me. I was four foot ten inches tall. I, if it was up to me, I'd have been pushing pennies. But I had someone that was present and that was powerful that was on my side. And I'll tell you what, that is what we're getting at here. That when we're talking about the peace of God, it's not, it has, again, that has nothing to do with us. That has to do with recognizing that the Emmanuel has come. God has come to be with us. We have been made right. We've been put in right relationship with God through faith in Christ. And as a result, we have a God who is present, who is powerful. He is with us. And we can have peace no matter the storm, no matter the circumstance, because we know that we have one that is infinitely stronger, infinitely wiser. He holds all wisdom. He holds all authority. He is working for our good. He's crazy about you. And he is there. 
And as a result, we can come to know and walk and live in peace because of him. Philippians 4, 7 describes this peace of God which comes as we, as we take these weighty things that are on us and we drop them before Jesus and we entrust them to him and we pray to him and we say, Jesus, you got to help me. Would you, would you work? Would you take the weight of this away? I trust in you. And it describes it as when we do that, it says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what it's talking about? It's the peace of God which is unfathomable, like which is better than you can imagine, which doesn't even make sense because all the outward storms are saying, man, you're dead, <laughs> you're toast. But, but as we put our trust, as we have confidence that there is one who is with us, one that is for us, that is big and strong and holds all power and authority, it's having peace knowing he will work his plans out for the good of those who love him. And as a, as a result, we can drop the weight and we can step into a peaceful confidence in the Savior that has come. He's come to bring us uh, everlasting joy and invites us into his joy. He's come to, and offers everlasting peace that we can find in right relationship with him and living in confidence of his work, his presence, his power in our lives, and especially as we align ourselves with him. Oh, I should, I'll share one more uh, verse. I thought this one was cool. Actually, there's two more. Um, getting way ahead of myself, but right, this is Jesus talking. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Present. I'm powerful. I'm pouring out my peace on you. And this one is uh, another prophecy. I love this one. It's uh, Micah chapter 5. Again, it's pointing ahead to the coming of the Messiah. Listen to this. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, uh, though you are smallest among the clans of Judah, out of you will come uh, for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old. He's everlasting, right? Uh, from ancient times. And he will stand and he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth and he will be our peace. Peace. 